Hey everyone, Chris Lopardi here with Dan Cortine, and welcome to another episode of A Father's Love, Healing Through Heartache. Uh, you know, like we said, we'd love to do our podcast to give dads the opportunity to talk about their loved ones and the grief that they're going through. And uh, this episode is just like that. We want to give Christian the opportunity to come on and tell us about his daughter. Uh, so before we get to that, Dan, how you doing, buddy? Doing okay. It's good to see you as always, buddy. And Christian, welcome. Thanks. For Same you as well. Thank you so much for having me. Yes. Yeah, Christian. So, like I said, we like to just throw it right to you. We don't want to waste any time. We want you to tell your story. So, it's all you, brother. Go ahead. Thank you, fellas. Uh, my name is Christian Paddock. I'm a dad of uh, two beautiful daughters here in Seattle, Washington, um, and a husband to Megan, uh, uh, my partner. Um, my daughter Hazel uh, would have been eight this March. Um, she passed just almost 18 months ago. Um, Hazel was born with a, a very rare genetic disorder called STXBP1, which when she was identified um, was really just before her first birthday, she was one of only 300 people roughly that had been identified in the world. Um, it's a absolutely random disorder. There was no causation or anything passed from uh, one of us. It was just literally just a random disorder. Uh, the disorder largely causes things like uh, seizures, uh, seizure activity from very early age. Uh, many of the children uh, are nonverbal and nonmobile, um, depending upon their the um, the disorder can be either a deletion or an actual uh, mutation within a particular line of their genetic code. Uh, we were not uh, expecting anything unusual. She was our firstborn. Uh, there was no signs throughout uh, Megan's pregnancy that there was anything untold or, or something to be concerned about. Um, but um, on only day two, uh, the day after she was born, and she was beautiful, just a absolutely beautiful baby. Uh, but day two in the hospital, I had just gone home. Uh, we we're only about 10 minutes from, from the hospital she was born in. And I ran home to check on the dog and grab a couple things we forgot uh, with the intention of being home uh, that day. And as I had just got home, uh, Megan called and said, okay, don't, don't freak out. Um, but the baby turned blue and stopped breathing while they were here taking newborn photos. They would actually come in the room and, and take the, the photos in the room. So as I dashed back to the hospital, uh, this sort of began this journey that we did not expect. Uh, we're certainly not prepared for. Um, we spent roughly 10 days between two different NICUs between Seattle and, uh, well, between the east side and Seattle. Um, day four, they finally discovered she was, the reason she was, she would turn blue and she would turn sort of dusky. She would, um, the color would basically drain from her face and she would stop breathing. And they, after the third or fourth day, they hooked up to a very rudimentary EEG, um, only a few lines. And what was later described to us is like, they said, we have basic cable. We need to go get you high definition. Um, and the doctor just literally happened to take a picture of, of her just very basic EEG and texted it to a friend of his who would turn out to be a world-class infant neurologist. And man, we would spend um, quite a few in the next seven years with. Uh, and he immediately said that seizure activity, we need, to, we need to transport her. We need to get her across town. And I'll tell you, that was probably, that was the most stressful thing in my life at that time was uh, letting her be taken uh, by ambulance across Seattle in five o'clock, you know, Friday rush hour traffic. Um, and it was just, it was just very, very panic inducing. Um, and then the level of care, uh, we jumped up from a, a, a NICU that was very much like a hotel, very much a, a bed, a shower, 
uh, your own private space. And then we moved into a NICU that had drastically different levels of not just care, but precautions and protocols. Um, and so uh, they, they hooked up to uh, 24, 26 gold plated leads to determine um, that she was having this very complex seizure activity. Um, which was, you know, at that time, they didn't know what was causing it or what was identifying it. They were only working to stop it. Um, and so that, as you may know, if, if you have anybody that's dealt with seizures, that usually means phenobarb, which is uh, unfortunately just a mask for those seizures, it's not really addressing the problem. Uh, but we were able to take her home after about 10 days. We were able to, to actually go home. And uh, that sort of began a journey for us um, of learning about this disorder because uh, the doctors literally told us, you're going to have to join a Facebook group. You're going to have to find people online because we have no experience. We don't know what this is. We don't know how to uh, direct you as to what your next steps may be. Um, and so we, you know, as we went work through this process, um, you know, one of the most hopeless or helpless feelings I've ever had was I uh, was holding her as a very young baby and, and watching her have a seizure. Uh, it's the most hopeless uh, I've ever felt at that time, at least. Um, but long story short, uh, we were very fortunate. We had, um, I, we had the ability to identify her disorder very early. Uh, we have watched some families now that are di diagnosing children that have been misdiagnosed for perhaps decades, kids that are in their, well into their teens or even in their 20s. Um, at least we got an answer when she was, she was not even a year old. Um, we also were dealing with things like cortical visual impairment. Um, her eyes were perfect, but unfortunately, the seizure disorders would cause her brain to literally turn off her vision. And so um, she would not be able to track motion or see in three dimension. And so that was very, very difficult to deal with because obviously vision drives so much of a child's development. It makes them curious about the toys or things that are around them. Um, and without the component of vision, uh, it's a huge challenge. Um, just barely a week before her first birthday, she had a corrective eye surgery that was an absolute game changer. Um, they took her, uh, and sedated her, which was again, one of those things, which is so very, very just stressful. Um, uh, but they reattached the muscles at the back of her eyes and actually changed her field of vision, which, uh, in a matter of 48 hours dramatically changed her life. Um, it, it the pictures before and after are almost staggering and how different that she looks. Um, when her vision specialist came to the house, the first time after her surgery, Hazel literally sat up and watched Tracy walk in the house and watched her walk around the couch. And she had never done that before. And, and Tracy was almost in tears. Um, and I asked her, I said, how many, how many children have you seen that have had a result like this? Because what we saw in a very short period of time was, was life-changing. And she thought very, she thought for a moment. Um, and then she said, I can think of two, uh, Hazel and, and one other that had such a, a dramatic uh, change within their vision. Uh, but we fought, we fought through all these things, um, whether it was, you know, even something as simple as, well, it should be simple, of um, a wheelchair for her or a gait trainer for her to help her learn to walk because that was such a process. Um, PT, OT, speech um, were a full-time job. Uh, Megan, my wife, um, was, was as a, uh, a mom, basically assumed that role. And it was a full-time job for her um, to, to help Hazel because... It, we were so fortunate. Again, we were so lucky that we had a team of people um, that were so dedicated and so caring and so just just lovely people. And we were lucky that we had those people because the advancements that Hazel was able to make uh, 
um, in, in that time were amazing. And, and we were documenting those things through a, a Facebook page called Hazel on the Move. Um, and if anybody wants to see that, uh, her progress and things she, she was doing um, were just uh, astounding. Um, and in this STX community, you hear a lot of people talk about, uh, you know, we talk about children's milestones or our, even our milestones as adults. And you hear about, uh, in this group, you hear about inch stones and these little things that as parents, you may try to compare your children to others. And, and it was very hard. It was very hard to understand that, um, her advancement and her growth, um, was not going to be like anybody else, that it would be unique and that she would walk her own path, uh, but it was so it was so amazing uh, because that little kid she just never gave up. She was such a stubborn, uh, almost ornery sometimes. Um, you know, she was nonverbal and classified as non-mobile, but that certainly doesn't mean that she wasn't you know going to make noise and tell you what she thought of something. Or certainly didn't mean as she had gotten older that she wasn't moving uh, at really uh, a really fast pace around our around our living room. Although she just simply wasn't walking yet. Um, and it was really, it was something that I was just, uh, I was really astounded by almost uh, on a weekly basis, the advancement that she was making. Uh, and unfortunately, long story short, um, July 16th of 2021, which was a Friday, it was a beautiful day. Uh, I was traveling for work in Portland, uh, Oregon. I got a phone call from my wife at about 1.30 in the afternoon and answered the phone as I was standing in a store that I work with uh, regularly. And I jokingly answered the phone and said, well, what's wrong? Because I knew she knew I would be busy. It's a, it's a busy Friday. And it was a brigade captain um, from the local fire department here uh, in, our, in Washington State. And basically, I could hear just uh, uh, absolute chaos and just utter, utter chaos in the background. And uh, he said the, the brigade captain told me that Hazel had... Um, gotten a foreign object into her throat or into her airway um, and that she had stopped breathing and that they, when they found her, that she didn't have a heartbeat. Uh, my wife had been performing CPR until they arrived. Uh, my neighbors told me later uh, that the response and the speed and the urgency of everybody that came to this cul-de-sac was uh, uh, astounding. Uh, they just, the, the, they said the response was, was really quite something to watch. Um, and I asked him, I, I, you know, try to get a sense of what was, what was happening. Um, cause I was 180 miles away. Um, and he said, you need to drive safely, but you need to get here now. And I did, but it took me a solid four hours. Uh, it, the first 13 miles of that trip took an hour, uh, because Portland traffic is hideous. And, um, after four, a little more than four hours, I finally got back to Seattle uh, where she'd been transported to Seattle Children's, where she was, uh, we'd spent so much time over the years. Um, uh, the 16th, that was her, the day of her accident was a Friday. Um, on Sunday, the 18th, um, they don't know, perhaps in her sleep, uh, something, something happened, and basically she had a brain bleed, uh, which, um, you know, they, don't, they didn't know how long she was without oxygen, uh, but it, it, they told us on Sunday that she was just, simply not likely to survive. Um, they asked us at that time if we would consider or had thought about organ donation, um, and at which time we told them absolutely. We didn't need to consult or think about that together. Um, on the 20th of July, she had to pass two separate tests over the course of 12 hours, uh, 9 o'clock in the morning and 9 o'clock at night. 
um, to demonstrate that she she was she was brain dead. Um, and then on Thursday, the 22nd, um, uh, they took her for her organ donation. Um, they lined the hallways of the hospital. Um, we had such, again, we had such, such careful and such, um, such caring people and such grace, uh, that we were shown, uh, during our time there. Uh, but they lined the hallways and they blew bubbles, uh, over her and us, uh, as we walked, uh, to the, to the OR. Um, and then we said goodbye. Um, what I'm trying to do now is, is to not just tell her story, um, and not just talk about losing her, but, um, to talk about how she fought and fought for so many things that, that we all take for granted every day. And I try very hard not to take those things for granted. Um, cause she just, she fought for those things. And I'm also now, you know, I'm trying so hard to talk about this to raise awareness, um, around organ donation because I was really unaware of how little, uh, or, uh, I shouldn't say how little, how rare it is that it's just, there's the conditions that just have to be met and there's just so many things that go into it. And so I really try to talk about it because, um, Hazel's eyes, you know, which is amazing because for the first year of her life, she was functionally blind. Um, her corneas restored sight to two different adults. Um, her kidneys went to two different, uh, adults, again, a woman in her forties and a man in his sixties, uh, that took them both off of dialysis, which I didn't know was even possible. Um, her liver went to a man uh, named Shiguru who lives in Salem, Oregon, uh, who wrote us a letter that is both just beautiful and heartbreaking at the same time. And he talked about how his life had, I mean, his life was, he was losing everything. He couldn't do the things he couldn't cook or be with his family or do the things that he wanted to do. And then he said, one day he got a phone call. And then now he was doing all those things. He was spending time with his family and he had the energy and the ability to do those things. Um, and her heart was the only thing that went to an actual child. I, was, I just, I'd never expected to, to think that her organs would go to so many adults, which I just thought was so amazing. Um, but her heart went to, went to a little boy um, who they say uh, was quiet. And, you know, Hazel was nonverbal, not quiet per se, but nonverbal. Um, they said the little boy likes to eat and, uh, Hazel would eat almost anything. She was, uh, uh, she was funny in that way. Um, and they said that little boy said, likes to spend time with his dad. And when I heard that, I, I knew that little boy was going to be okay. And so I miss her, uh, every day. And I don't know what else to tell you guys. I, I know you, I know, you know, and it's, you know, what I found is that the more I talk about this, the more I find, um, people that have been through the same thing. And it's, it is really astounding to me, um, how many people I have, have run into, um, just, just seemingly by accident. Um, and you just happen to start talking to people and it's amazing uh, how many stories I've heard and, and people that have endured, uh, this type of loss, which is just, uh, I've learned that it just, this, this ache in my heart does, it doesn't stop. And while sometimes I look like a functioning human being, because I, I have to, um, in, in so many ways, I feel like an actor on a stage, um, sometimes because, 
uh, in reality, my heart just, it just aches so badly all the time. And it's only those little moments where sometimes I, you know, I travel for work. I just got back from Germany this week, just, just two days ago. Um, and sometimes I can sort of set reality aside. I can sort of pretend, um, while I'm, I'm somewhere that's not my home, you know, and then coming home, I, I want to be nowhere but home. It really does bring, you know, it brings so much back and it just, uh, and I don't want to lose that, but man, does it, it hurts every day. Yeah. Christian, first off, you know, from the bottom of my heart and Dan's heart, we're sorry you had to join this horrible club. Uh, like you said, you never really realize how many people have gone through it until it happens to you. And then you just start meeting people everywhere coming out of the woodworks that have gone through such similar ordeals. Um, sounds like Hazel was quite the fighter, you know, never gave up. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm curious how, how you did that four hour drive because you know what? when I heard you say you had to do that, I don't know how you did it, to be honest. I think it shows how strong you are. Um, not that you had a choice, obviously, but how was that four hour drive? So, you know, one of the toughest things about this is one, I travel not just by plane, but I travel by car. So I have to be in a car and I've had definitely had uh, horrific flashbacks and, and, uh, you know, it's, it's, let's be honest, it's, it's post-traumatic stress. Um, what was really, what was tough, uh, I was at the time driving a very, very nice electric vehicle. So not only did I it take, you know, a, a really quite a long time, I had to stop and charge this thing about halfway, a little bit more than halfway. Otherwise I couldn't have made it all the way up into Seattle. Um, but to be completely honest, Chris, um, I've made that drive to Portland, I don't know, hundred. I mean, I've lived in Seattle 27 years. I've driven back and forth to Portland over a hundred times. I mean, plenty of times. I don't remember. I don't remember the majority of that trip. Um, it was, um, and, and, and being stuck, especially in that type of traffic where it is literally no exaggeration, wall to wall, and there's no escape. There's no way you can get out and you can do nothing except sit there. And I'm, you know, I'm sobbing and crying in a way that's my, my ribs, you know, are, are beginning to actually physically hurt. Um, and I can only imagine like what people near me or around me must have seen or thought. Um, but, you know, I said earlier, that was a time when I had never felt so hopeless. And then, and that was the time when I felt the most hopeless because there was, there was nothing I could do. I couldn't, there's no, I, I would have driven down the shoulder if I could. And there's literally no shoulder to even drive down. I, I would have broken the law to do that. And I, um, I, I literally could go nowhere and, um, and I couldn't call Megan. I couldn't, there was nobody I could, I, I, I guess I did receive like my, I'm thankful that my best friends, um, actually live really close to the Seattle children's and they actually beat, they beat the ambulance and Megan, they beat, they beat them there. So I, I was I was hopeful or thankful at least that I, I knew that she would have somebody around her and, and somebody that was there for her. Um, but this sense of helplessness and this sense of um, and I guess I, I hate to say it, I I had this feeling in my heart where I just I just knew that she was gone and I knew that I, I knew I wasn't going to see her again. And 
you know, I'd already been gone for two days. I left on a Wednesday. I make these, you know, kind of 72 hour trips. And I just, I just had this feeling that I just wasn't going to see her alive again. And it just, um, it just broke my heart. It just broke my heart. And, um, I, I've seen some things. I've, I've been through some things in my life. I've seen, I've seen things I'd like to, you know, forget. Uh, but I would say that was that four hours was easily the hardest and most, um, traumatic four hours of my life. Um, I just, I don't think I've ever felt so alone and so helpless at the same time. So, yeah, it was, I, like I said, I can't, I literally cannot drive that stretch of road. I go out through a, <laughs> I take a very long remote way um, out of Portland when I leave now. Uh, it's actually a prettier drive anyway, but I, I simply cannot drive down that road. I just can't do it. So, yeah. So Chris, Yeah, I think oh. you're right. I mean, it's, go ahead, Dan. So Christian, yeah, along that, um, can you talk about guilt? Do you have guilt about not being home? Did you have, or did you have guilt? And if so, how, how did you work through that? Are you still working through it? Or are you, are you guilt-free at least? Cause you know, there was nothing you could do. I don't feel guilty about being away because that was what's allowed us to provide. Like the house we live in, the house we found is all on one floor. It's almost 2000 square feet of, being on one floor and it's beautiful it's up against the woods we have a huge backyard and so being away and traveling is what's allowed me to provide that for my family and you know that's why i say like when i'm home i do everything i can to be home and to be here to be with them now this is going to sound not crazy but this is going to maybe mess you up a little bit um at least it messes me up a little bit um so hazel being non-mobile um had a wheelchair and um Oftentimes, though, I would carry her, and she was getting quite big. She was getting really big. But if we were just going to a restaurant, if we were going inside someplace or going someplace where I knew I could just, if we're going to our favorite Mexican place, and I knew I could just carry her in, I'm not taking the wheelchair in. I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw her over my shoulder, sit her down in the booth, and she would sit up at the table. She was, you know, completely, you know, stable in that way. Um, the guilt that I have is that my elbow doesn't hurt anymore. My shoulder doesn't hurt. Um, I had, I had tendonitis in my right elbow, you know, I'm, and I'll be 47 this year. Um, my guilt is that when I wake up, my, my elbow doesn't hurt. My shoulder doesn't hurt. And I would trade that. I, I would trade that, um, <laughs> to have her back. Um, I would have my elbow hurt me every day for the rest of my life, you know? And it's so, it sounds so weird. Like, um, but that's, that's what I feel. That's what I feel guilty about is that my shoulder doesn't, you know, and like, I look around my office and I've got, you know, I've got, I've got the straps for your tennis elbow and, and all these things that I don't have to use anymore. And, um, and I would trade that. I would trade any of that for even just a, a day. I couldn't find any Kleenex, so I got yellow microfiber towels. That's all I got. So um, you use what you need to, brother. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and and that's and that's it's 
it's a weird thing to feel guilty about, you know? Um, but man, I would, I would trade, I would trade anything just to see her. So I think anybody that's listened to our show, um, every person that's been on here has shared something that it's, it's the weirdest things. Um, Chris and I can, we certainly can relate in the, yeah, the, the crazy weird things that shouldn't matter, but they do. Yeah. They're the things that trigger us. They're the things that we feel guilty about. Um, it's just one of the infinite pieces of grief that just make it so difficult to go on that journey, man. It is so tough. And, um, flying home, I just flew home from Munich two days ago. Um, I happened to be seated next to a man. Um, he was one of the last people to board, uh, long story short, turns out we have more things in common than you could possibly imagine. Uh, but he was one day past the one year anniversary of losing his best friend. Uh, he was young man in his forties, dropped dead and had a heart attack. Uh, he was barely 18 months out from losing his brother-in-law and his father. He lost all these things within, he lost all these people that were so very close to him. And we were, we talked, we were on this plane from home from Denver for two and a half hours and we didn't stop talking for that entire time. And he said, he must've said it two or three, maybe four times that it, it, you know, he was like, Hey, it's nothing like what you've been through. And I, I just wish people would approach grief from a standpoint where it's, it's just not a competition. Um, you're going to go through grief and loss. And I, for him, the way he was telling me about these three people that he's lost, I was like, I mean, losing a child is, is just probably the most horrific thing I can imagine, but I can't imagine the, the, the ache or the hurt in his heart. Um, and so, you know, if there was anything I would tell people about grief is it's not a competition and, and we're all going to go through these things differently, but you know, as we talk about them or, or as we discuss these things, I think that's what, that's what brings me at least some understanding. I, it'll never bring me closure. I don't think, but it's understanding that, that people are going to endure these things as part of the human condition that we all go, we all go through these things. Um, and I wish that we could understand that, um, it's not, there's no scoreboard. There's no scoreboard in this. And, um, that your grief, whether it's a, a, a father or a mother or a pet, I mean, all of those things are going to affect us all and they're, they're going to affect us, you know, deeply. Um, and so I, I, and again, that's another reason why I still keep trying to talk about this because um, we all are going to endure things like this. We all experience things like this throughout our life. And as you get a little older, unfortunately, it's happened to me now where you hear somebody say, did you hear about Paul? And Paul didn't buy a boat. Paul's not on vacation, right? Like Paul died. And you reach an age where you go through these things. And, um, you know, I've lost, I've lost friends to horrific cancers and I've lost friends to all these things. And it's just, uh, it is unfortunate, but it is just part of being a human being. Yeah, it is for sure. And I think, like you said, the comparison we've actually had a, I don't know if we've had a full episode on that, Dan, but I know we've talked about comparing, you know, loss in different ways and how at the end, if we really just kind of all 
work together and support each other instead of worrying about the comparison. It, it, it makes such a big difference helping each other out in the long run. And uh, yeah, man, I mean, you know, coming on and telling us the story of Hazel, such a big deal. I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about, you know, what your goal is now. What What are you wanting now to help yeah. keep Hazel's memory alive going forward? Yeah, so definitely the biggest, there's, there's two components to that. Um, number one is with a rare disorder like STX. Um, it's, it's understanding that there is a lot of people that are out in the world that are dealing with these things that are almost, I don't want to say unheard of, but we have met, we have, we have a neighbor, uh, God, I mean, there's just, I'm so happy that they're so close to us. Um, but their son has a disorder. It's only been identified in, I believe, two or three people in the world. Um, and so I tell you that because what I've found is that so much in society, we talk about inclusion. Inclusion has been this big buzzword. Um, but so often I have seen these children and, and again, as, as teenagers or people, perhaps they're a little older, one of the things you hear the most from parents that are dealing with these things is that they don't feel included. Or if their child is out at dinner and their child is perhaps loud or yelling or whatever, whatever they may be going through, um, that they, you know, the side eyes and the dirty looks and the, um, and people don't understand. People do not understand what, what these families endure on a, a 24 hour basis, that there is no break. There is no vacation. Um, it really, it, it can consume you, right? This, this, it can consume you. And none of us ever expected that we, we never expected to, to be in a position where we had a child that was one of 300 people in, in the world that had ever been identified. And she was only identified because they sequenced their entire human genome, right? Like down every line of DNA had to be coded to figure out what's going on. And so there's two things I, I really try to bring awareness to or to talk about. And, and number one is, is that inclusion is not a buzzword, that if you want to actually include people, you need to listen to them and listen to their stories and listen to what they've been through. Um, because more often than not, they're probably not talking about it. Um, some of these families I've met are just some of the strongest people. Um, they're never going to tell you about it. They're, they're just going to do the work. They're going to put in the effort to care for their family and do what they have to do. Um, you know, when Hazel was probably three, um, one of my good, good friends came over to the house for a birthday party and I've known him 20 years. And he said, said something to the effect of, you know, and we're at, it's like a Cinco de Mayo party. It's a beautiful day. We're on the back patio. And he said something to the effect of, uh, he goes, I don't know how you do it. And I was like, well, what do you mean? He goes, I've never seen you complain. I've never seen you whine. I've never seen you, you know, come to work. You know, you're always doing what has to be done. You know, I've never seen you stop. I've never seen you complain. And I said, well, I mean, you don't really have a choice, right? Like, I, I don't have a choice. I can't just stop. I can't just roll over. I'm not going to do that. It's not in my nature anyway. Um, but I, I can't just stop because I have to take care of Addison. I have to take care of Megan. I, I have commitments to people that I care about deeply. Um, and so, you know, talk to people that tell you that they're okay because they're probably not okay. Um, and I know for men, at least, you know, uh, of my, my age and generation, we were never taught to deal with these things or talk about these things. Um, you know, I, I came from a, you know, walk it off and rub some dirt on it. You know, I went to an all boys school for God's sakes you were not taught to deal with these things or how, and, and I didn't have, I frankly didn't have too many positive role models, uh, male role models when I was young. 
because uh, my dad my dad wasn't around he wasn't uh, in the picture and I didn't learn how to cope with these things or good coping skills or how to deal with them I didn't I didn't learn any of that so I was way older in life um, but I would I would say number one you know you gotta you gotta talk to people you gotta ask and 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 when they're trying to tell you a story or they're trying to tell you what they're dealing with don't try to relate it to something else don't try to relate it to what what you've been through just let them talk right let, let them get it out I, I see that so often uh, I, I remember telling somebody about Hazel's disorder once and then this woman said something to the effect of oh yeah my cousin's daughter has down syndrome and I was like that's not what we're talking about I mean like I, I appreciate you're trying to bring some sort of relation you're trying to relate to this but that's not it sounds dismissive it sounds dismissive right so um listen to people and then include them and listen to what they've told you so that you can understand what they need to feel included for god's sakes um it's just one of those things that i think is just it, it frustrates me to to really no end um and then number two with organ donation um you know, I, I did some speaking work with the Washington State Fathers uh, Network here in Washington, trying to bring some awareness. Uh, we were interviewed uh, by local news that was trying to do a, a mirror piece to a young boy that was at Seattle Children's. They were looking for a living donor, um, I believe, for his liver. Um, and they wanted to interview a family that had um, the opposite side, where they, a family had donated um, organs from a child. And literally within, you know, they called out a Monday night at five o'clock and they were here with, you know, within 90 minutes, uh, to interview us for a piece that aired a few times here in Seattle. Um, I, what I've been trying to do is, is tell this story and understand that, um, you know, Hazel is not here. I, I, I will never hold her again, but I am hopeful that one day I will hear her heartbeat in that little boy's chest. If they'll let me, um, I want to go to Salem and meet Shiguru because uh, if I read his letter, it just uh, it is both beautiful and heart wrenching at the same time. But it it, it is something that um, his gratefulness and the honor and and the care in which he has very much uh, obviously he he has taken his life uh, very seriously and and he does not take that for granted. He doesn't take it very lightly. And the, the weight and the feel of that letter is something that um, it, it kind of brings me comfort in knowing, again, that, you know, Hazel is still changing the world, right? This little girl who was only with us for a very short period of time um, never said a word to me, never, never said a single word to me. Uh, but she told me she told me so much. Right. Um, and no, no person in, in my life has ever affected me or changed you know, my outlook or how I approach the world, how I think about the world. Um, and I only had her for six and a half years, right? I, I had her for just a, uh, a very, very short period of time. And um, with organ donation, it's amazing to me that her life will change so many others. What if that little boy goes on to have children of his own? And what if that little boy goes on to, to have children of his own that maybe finds out how to beat genetic disorders like this or um you know the butterfly effect can have such positive things too and um it, it is again it's one of the only things that has brought me like comfort or peace um 
you know, when, uh, so Life Center Northwest is our organization here in, in this area that does uh, all the organ, uh, organ donation uh, coordination uh, in this area. And um, they had a event at the Bellevue Hyatt back on July 31st. And the CEO of Life Center Northwest, a doctor, um, tells or told Hazel's story as the very opener for this event. Um, obviously, with our permission, they asked and you know, said. Um, and he had only started just a couple months uh, prior to this happening to our family. And he said it was something that affected him very deeply and that he'd had a, a picture of Hazel uh, on his wall next to his desk for that entire time. And he, he got up and he told the story. Uh, he told he told her entire story um, to a room of 300 people or more in this, this giant ballroom. Um, and so keeping her story alive and keeping her name alive um, with the goal, though, of helping others, helping others um, understand that, uh, you know, I have, a, I have a good friend that donated a kidney to a stranger because he could, because they were a match. And I have such admiration for him for that because it, it's just such a, a selfless thing. Um, but knowing that if I wasn't here and if I could help others, if I could save somebody's father or mom or anybody, that I would do that. That this vessel that I'm in right now is, if I'm not here, that it could, if it could help other people, then I, I wanted to help other people. And that it's something that can touch um, so, so many lives. Um, and what was amazing, I, my last leg of this trip uh, coming home from Germany this week, I was, again, seated next to a man who uh, had just lost his, his best friend, his brother-in-law within the last you know, 18 months. Uh, and they donated organs from his brother-in-law. And this man that was sitting next to me in this random flight from Denver to Seattle uh, was in that room. He was in the room at the Hyatt. He was there at that event from Life Center Northwest. We didn't. I never met him. I don't remember mm -hmm. seeing him. There's a lot of people there. And I, we were talking about this. And he told me that, you know, I told him about Hazel. He told me about uh, Nathan. And he said, I said, were you at the event in July? And he said, my wife and I couldn't stop crying. And I was like, that's, and then he said that from the opening, from the opening story, I was like, that, that was my daughter. And it was just such a, it's just such a random, strange moment. It's just a, such an interesting thing, which happens to me a lot. If I talk about this, if I tell this story, uh, it, it's amazing to me, these, these things that, that keep happening, as long as I speak up, as long as I talk about it, not, not talking about it doesn't help. And it doesn't, it doesn't help at all. Um, but I'm amazed that when I do talk about it, how often I hear these things that I, I've told the story before where somebody maybe seen us on the news before, or they'd heard the story, or, you know, we've, we're, we're trying to raise money through, uh, for Seattle children still. Um, and it's amazing when I talk about it, that I hear people tell a very similar story, tell a very similar story. So, uh, it helps, it helps. Your um, man, your story is inspiring in so many different ways. Um, Thank you, I appreciate that. Your um, I'm having a hard time tonight because um, organ donation. That's the one, other than obviously just the fact that Jameson passed, um, and being mad about that. Organ donation is the one thing that I'm mad about 
in the entire during the event because we we decided right away Eric and I decided right away that we wanted to have his organs donated and we cut our time short in the hospital room with him after he had already been pronounced dead um, because we knew they needed to go take care of the body and save his organs so we we gave up time saying goodbye to him that day expecting that he was going to have his organs harvested and for whatever reason they weren't he was uh, the the autopsy is about two and a half to three hours away because we're in a small town in the western north carolina mountains and um for whatever reason they couldn't or didn't have a refrigerated car and so his um and maybe my dream of the impact his organs could have made, maybe my dream is bigger than what reality would have been. I don't know. But, man, I wish, I would love to have those stories that you have that they don't fix anything. And, and yeah, you wish you had Hallie and we, we wish we had Mason and Jameson back. But, yeah, if they're not here, the impact that your little girl is having on so many other lives... That's I'm, I'm so sorry that you had to go through that, but I would tell you that the selflessness and the, the fact that you were willing to, to give up that time and the sacrifice that you made isn't lost. It's, it is, it is a shame that, that they didn't or work. And I would assume it's because they couldn't, I would assume it's not because they didn't want to, that it's because they couldn't. But, uh, but I would tell you that to make that decision in that moment and the selflessness and the, and I'm, I know that in your heart that the goal was just to simply help others, even if that meant losing Jameson and losing him sooner. Um, that, that act, um, nobody can take that from you. That's something that you should, you should honor and be proud of because it's just, I, I can't think of anything that is more uh, selfless in that moment. And, it's it's horrific to be made to make that decision for your child, mm-hmm. um, but I think the decision itself has such um, it has such honor to it. Just to make the decision alone, um, I would say thank you. Just even just for trying, and and knowing that you were willing to do that. Um, nobody can take that from you. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's something that that you should we, we should all be proud of. Um, yeah. And I and, and again and just by talking about it, maybe um, changing the narrative or changing the understanding of of what what that looks like or what gosh I mean even the resources or things that hospitals may not have access to. What if we start telling more stories to help them gain these to gain these things to help more people? Um, mm-hmm. It's just uh, but God, I I I can only imagine Dan. I I, I can only imagine how badly that hurts. Yeah. And I just, I appreciate so much the things you're saying because, again, I just, I think your words are going to have such a great impact on so many people listening. Um, The organ donation piece is obviously huge, but you've, you talked a lot about too, of just letting people talk and the man on the plane and look at that connection that you two had, but, um, and that's why Chris and I do this show is just so that we can talk to each other and heal 
And if we can get other people to come on with us and give them that floor to just to talk, yeah, it helps. And then Absolutely. if we can, and I can, I think it's, I, th I think the words change the narrative is uh, a good way to put it as society. If we can change the narrative and get people to listen, yeah. what an impact. So I think your words tonight are beautiful and so impactful. Thank you. I appreciate that. That means a lot. Yeah, and I wanted to throw out there, too, that uh, kind of like you were saying, um, Christian, like the resources, like I agree. I've heard that story from Dan numerous times now. No reason their family should have had to go through that and lost that time. Bringing that awareness to, you know, medical organizations, hospitals, whatever, making sure they have the resources. Because think of how many people that, you know, Jameson could have helped and just nonsense for, for not having the resources in place in the greatest country in the world with the greatest medical in the world. I don't understand why this, why we're even having this issue, you know, so it should realistically uh, never us talking. Of, exactly. So us talking about it and getting that info out there and, you know, maybe people, if you're listening, you need to check with your local medical organization and see, Hey, how does, how does organ transplant work in my medical organization? If something were to happen to me or my loved ones, what is your game plan to make sure that the people that I am donating my organs to, how are you going to get them out there? How is it going to work? And maybe that's just where we need to even just start the conversation just to make sure that this doesn't happen to other people as well. Absolutely. Just the awareness alone. I mean, just... <sighs> Yeah, Dan, I, I, gosh, I, I'm just sitting here thinking, and I just, I'm just so sorry that you, you went through that. I just, uh, I know that we had so little time uh, with Hazel uh, in that window, um, and I, I can't imagine having lost or or lose losing that time or or having less time. I just, I'm so sorry you went through that. Yeah, and I don't want to like shift the focus oh. away from Hallie tonight, but it's just, I resonate with your story. Breaks my heart because, um, yeah. Every one of these stories that Chris and I hear breaks our heart, but um, it, each each one we're all we're in this club together. That there's so many pieces of all these stories that we're so well connected on for the rest of our lives. Yeah. And well, you know, I'll tell you, it was wild. Um, so you know, she was pronounced on a Tuesday, and on Wednesday. Uh, they said that they would be spending the time um, coordinating uh, organs and that the heart would be the most uh, critical piece. And I went back alone uh, by myself on Wednesday and I shouldn't have gone by myself, um, but everybody had, we'd been there for a few days and it was, it was kind of wearing on everybody. Um, and we knew that we were going to be back soon to say goodbye. And I, I went to spend the day and I thought we were going to, you know, listen to music or watch movies in bed and, um, it broke my heart because I couldn't do it. And I ended up spending um, a couple of hours in the family resource center and they let me print these beautiful color pictures uh, that I then took back to the room and her nurse, Kathleen, um, put them all on the outside of her door, this glass, this glass sliding door. And she just put up just this beautiful spread of photos for us. Um, and I stayed for a couple hours, but I, I just, after being there by myself, it just was really wearing on me. And I hadn't eaten. I hadn't eaten in days. Uh, I hadn't, 
you know, I didn't know barely what day it was. And, uh, I went home, I was driving home by myself and I just knew that I needed food. And I knew if I went home, I wasn't going to cook. I wasn't going to make food. And so I went someplace that, that really had brought me comfort for many years, a restaurant here in Seattle called Cactus, which I've loved for many, many years. And I stopped, uh, you know, probably three 30 in the afternoon. So in between lunch and dinner, and I probably looked a mess walking in that restaurant and I, and I got seated. I realized I forgot my, my wallet. I had to go walk out back to the car and I came back in. Then I realized that I couldn't listen to the music they were listening to. So I had to go back and get my AirPods because I was getting anxious sitting there. But I, I knew I had to eat. And the waitress, the, she knew she knew right away that something was wrong. And, and um, after I ordered a margarita and some an appetizer because I was just so hungry, she came and she kind of sat down. Um, she knew something was wrong. And she said, she goes, she goes are you okay? I said, said no i said i said my daughter died and and as i was sitting there at this table this was right before she sat down um life center northwest our, our coordination team called and told us that they were going to be taking her the following day on thursday at about four o'clock and i had to take this phone call in this restaurant there's plenty of people in there i was, certainly was not by myself but i certainly felt very vulnerable and that's when she came and sat down and she asked me you know what was going on i, I told her explained it to her and you know, the next thing is, you know, she's tearing up and I'm, I'm not doing well to the point where she forgot to order my lunch. She literally, <laughs> I was sitting there eating my guac and she, she comes back. She goes, do you not want lunch? I was like, no, I, I ordered lunch. Did you not, did you not order my lunch? Cause I'm hungry. <laughs> um, and she, you know, she, oh, I did was a meal. She, you know, for, she got, forgot to order my lunch. She goes, runs to order lunch and on my third margarita by now. And, um, you know, I've racked up a $75 lunch tab by this point. And, uh, it was time for me to flee, right? It was time for me to go. I needed to, I need to go home and sort of face reality. And I asked her for the check and she comes and she sits down next to me and she said, she goes, I still, I have the receipt for lunch, like in my, in my dresser drawer. And she comes, she sits down and she said, she goes, you came here for comfort, you no pay. And I was like, oh gosh. Uh, I'm like, now I'm, you know, I'm just. I'm bawling as I'm trying to basically run out of this restaurant, I'm trying to throw any, any cash that I have loose in my wallet. I'm trying to throw on the table as she's trying to not let me. Um, but I just remember her kindness. And I remember, um, I remember in that moment, um, how much I did need, I needed kindness and I needed grace and I needed help. Um, and I needed lunch cause I hadn't had lunch in five days. Um, and I just, I, I have been fortunate that I've met so many of those people um, when I travel or, you know, just locally. Um, and I've met so many people that have been so kind and so gracious and, um, you know, you, you are reminded that there are really good people out there that do care and they do see, they do see when somebody, even if it's a stranger, they see when that person is, is struggling or suffering. Um, and she was just so kind and she was just so nice. And, and she had told me, as we were saying that, that she'd remembered me, that I had been in the bar for happy hour with a coworker, I mean, maybe a couple months prior. Um, and she said that she remembered me and how nice we were. And, and um, it was just, uh, again, it was one of those humbling things where I was a very much not even a functioning human being at this point. And um, she recognized that she saw um, exactly what I was dealing with. And, and she knew that I was not doing well um, and I will never, I will never forget her kindness in that moment. Um, and then it, it will mean a lot to me for a long, long time.
I don't think there's many things in this world today that are easier than just providing a listening ear. With everything going on in society, it's free and it's easy, and it, but it makes a huge impact. You don't realize how quickly you can change somebody's day or even their, just, just their outlook, even if it's a short period of time. <clears throat> Um, by just understanding and just by listening. And, um, you know, I, I think as I think we, we all know in this day and age, sometimes you feel like you're interacting with people and they're just waiting for their turn to talk. And that's okay. I get it. We're all, you know, this, this sense of, of anxiousness that's being pumped into us by staring at three screens all day long. I get it, you know. Um, but we have to take a step back and we need to look people in the eye and, and see them, right, and see um, what they're going through and, and let them talk, let them, let them share their story. Um, you know, I mean, this, this fellow on the plane, Brad and I yesterday, uh, I mean, we had a, came to a point that we had to turn the lights off for a second. So we could supposed to sit there and cry pretty openly. Uh, we were running out of cocktail napkins underneath the Roman Cokes. Um, and we had to turn the lights off cause we both were like, okay, I'm going to sit here and cry for a minute. Um, and you know, it was, it was in that moment, uh, it was just such an odd and surreal thing, right. To, to know that, like, that we've been in the same places, we've dealt with the same people, the same issues. And, uh, and that his daughter, gosh, his daughter, they'd been through so much with his youngest. Um, and they had been through Seattle children's cause she had a, she also had a seizure disorder. So I was sharing with him, like what, what we found helped Hazel and that, that, um, that there were other things and other things that they could look at or try. And we would never have known that, right? We would have never known that if we hadn't. I mean, I, I all the time, I just plug my headphones in sometimes and, and just, I don't want to talk to people on the plane. Um, and then you find out, you know, you go through some of these things and you realize like, I got to look at these people in the eye and I got to talk to them and you'll be amazed at what you hear. I mean, the stories, um, the stories that you hear are just, it's really, it's amazing. It's hard, might be heartbreaking. I'm not going to say it's going to be easy to hear, um, and what I've certainly found with Hazel, you know, um, for my German colleagues, um, and, and not, not just my German colleagues, I'm saying most recently, my German colleagues, uh, when I tell this story or even just a little tiny bit of the story, cause I, I couldn't tell much of it while I was abroad. Um, it hurts my friends that are good dads, the best, or even let's be honest, even strangers. Um, and, and it, it hurts the most to people that understand and that, um, I mean, you can't fathom, you can't imagine going through something like that. Um, and that's been one of the toughest things is, is watching, um, you know, some of my friends, it just, it, it, you can see how much it hurts them and it hurts, it hurts like to talk about it, but you gotta, you gotta talk about it, right? You, you just, you cannot bottle these things up because that, that is basically the, the same as ignoring it. And that's not going to fix anything. That's not going to that's not going to help anybody, right? Like you, you can't just ignore it. You've got to, you got to talk about it. You got to deal with it. Yeah. Well, Christian, I think you bring up one of the things Dan and I preach all the time. That's why we definitely want as many dads or anybody going through grief that wants to come on, to come on our show and just have that time to, to speak their mind and get their story out. And I think it, it's great to, you know, like, like you were saying, it sounds like Hazel was an amazing daughter and to be able to get, you know, who she was out there to everyone is the most important. I, uh, that's my favorite part overall is, you know, 
learning who they are and what they were as people. So, and I don't know if you if you had a chance to see her webpage or if you had a chance to see, but um, I don't think I can flip this camera around. But um, yeah, I was going to try to show you a picture, but that's okay. Um, well, why don't you was, throw her? What is her website or you know her organization that we people yeah. can look up if they want to see it? Or, so the the two fastest ways to find things uh, about Hazel's story. On Facebook, it's just at our public page, which is called Hazel on the Move, um, which was really started years ago. It was really started to show um, what her journey through her physical therapy, PT, OT speech, um, and the advancements that she was making. It was really, it was something that we did to help other families uh, see um, that there was there was uh, hope or that there was, um, that the all the work and the hard, the long days um, would really lead to such amazing changes. And that um, while it seemed sometimes so, so difficult, um, that there was, there, was, there was opportunity and optimism and, and hope um, with that. So, so on Facebook, uh, Hazel on the Move. And then one of the things I, I really, um, I'm, I'm happy that is, is up, is at Life Center Northwest, so lcnw.org. And her story is under their blog posts. They tell stories of both organ recipients and organ donors. And so if you click on uh, blog under their page and just type in Hazel, just H-A-Z-E-L, just Hazel, uh, it'll pop right up. Uh, it was about 18 months ago, um, but it, it's, it's really, it's in the top 10 or 12 uh, within their blog entries. Um, and I love that because it really... Um, they do a good job, I think, of telling her story. There's some good pictures of the of the whole family there, um, and I think they they did a really good job. So, Great. well, thank you for sharing all that. Um, You're welcome. I, I really appreciate what you guys do, and um, I really appreciate the opportunity. And I think it's uh, it is it is helpful. It is, it's helpful just to uh, to know that not just you guys are doing just great work. Uh, but how many people really understand what we're all going through? So I appreciate I appreciate it. I really do. Yeah, you said something right at the very beginning tonight of um, just we we take things for granted. And it amazes me how aware I am of death now that Jameson has passed. Of God, the number of people, but especially the number of children that pass away daily it just and yeah we just we take it for granted that yeah. nothing can possibly happen to us so make make the most of the moments that we have absolutely life life is unfortunately not just difficult and sometimes painful but it is just so awfully short um and you know she had to fight and fight and fight and you know, I've been so lucky throughout my life, um, and I, I just try not to take that for granted. I try not to, um, I try not to forget. You know that that uh, man, you don't have long, and you know you have to take advantage of the time that you have, and you have to be, you have to be conscious of the fact that. I mean, I, I like I said, I've lost so many friends to just crazy things, whether it was glioblastoma or liver cancer, and people in their you know 30s and early 40s, uh, and that, like you said, 
then that that happens every day. I mean, that is happening every single day. Um, just on our floor at Seattle Children, while we were there, just on our one floor, uh, there was 30 or 31 other families just on that one floor while we were present. Um, and that's 24-7, 365. I mean, that just, that does not stop. And so, um, you know, I, I, I do struggle with that. You talk about, you know, that guilt, like, I can't get too close to Seattle Children's. Like, I can't, I can't barely even think about seeing that building because I know what people are enduring there. Um, I've told friends because I never really understood it before. But like, when you get within a few blocks of Seattle Children's, don't be surprised if you see some crazy guy driving on the shoulder or blowing through red lights. And I didn't understand it before. And then, and then I understood it. I understood it very, very clearly. Like, oh, that's, yeah, it's, it's kind of dangerous. I mean, like when that, that getting off the freeway and headed out of there, because those people are trying to get to their family. They're trying to get to their children. And uh, you, again, you just, you don't realize what people are going through in those moments. And it's, it's happening every single day around us, every single day. Well, Christian, I uh, I checked out those pages real quick. You got a beautiful daughter, and uh, thank you. We're so glad that you came on and, and shared her story and your story. And uh, you know, we're in this together now, man. You're always reach out to us, and we'll reach out to you for whatever you need throughout this whole process. Oh, I really appreciate that, and I, uh, you know, as I'm sure you know, um, it's those weird dates, whether they're holidays like Christmas or. And her birthday coming up in February, sorry, February, coming up in March. Um, and then, you know, it'll be two years in July. And, uh, you know, it is tough. You, you have those dates that, that just seem to follow you around. And, um, yeah, it, it's, it doesn't get easier. It doesn't get easier. Right. We get that. Yeah. Well, yeah, Christian, thank you so much for coming on and sharing. Um, I hope. I hope your story helps. I know it, it's going to help a lot of guys because everybody can connect to pieces and um, I hope it inspires more guys. As you said, we don't like to talk openly, um, but hopefully this will inspire more guys to get on here and, and just talk because it does help. It's painful. It's hard. Uh, there will be tears. but It hurts. It, it hurts. hurts but... too. No, I, I really do appreciate it. And thank you for um, your continued work and the things that you've, you've done. Uh, I know that it's helped more people than we could probably ever know. Well, thank you so much. Um, so yeah, if uh, we encourage everybody to, to check out lcnw.org and check out on Facebook, Hazel on the move. Um, just check out the story of this beautiful little girl and the impact that she's had on on the world big impact in in a short time and uh we just thank everybody who's listening and we thank christian for coming on and sharing and and with that we will wrap up this episode of a father's love healing through heartache